everyone. Uh, welcome back to FUTFE, the podcast brought to you by the Football Engine team. Uh, this week, we want to focus on FAWSL fixtures, and we have a closer look at Freien Bundesliga games. Uh, today, I'm joined by Christian, Marakate, and Irene. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 So let's start with the English FAWSL. We had some interesting games played last weekend. And we want to start with Manchester City versus Bristol City. Manchester City 8, Bristol City 1. City beats Bristol City, but looking at the table, they are only in fifth place in the FAWSL uh, league table. The loss to the top three is small, but we should remember that they have already dropped points this season. So you don't really know what to expect from this team. Uh, so my first question is, was it fair to go ahead with the match, even though Crystal City won, uh, asked for a schedule of the match? I mean, they postponed every uh, Everton versus United County Cup clash in midweek. I don't think it was pretty. F- I don't think it was fair on Bristol to 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 go ahead with this game. Um, they did the right thing by by isolating the players which showed symptoms of COVID-19. Um, but I think this is kind of like the inconsistencies we, we see with the FA as an organization. Um, like um, they, Aston Villa got postponed two games when one of their staff members tested positives, positive for, 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 for COVID. Uh, uh, and I think, it, and even though like this was short on short notice, I think it's kind of unfair on Bristol to to be ma- to be forced to play this game, uh, and especially considering like uh, one of the reasoning uh, from the FA was that uh, Bristol had the opportunity to to promote some some academy players, which a few days before they had deemed uh, unprofessional and. Um, like they weren't allowed to um, to continue with their training and and, and games and so on. So um, I think I don't think it was fair. I think it kind of shows the inconsistencies of the uh, the FA and they kind of contradicting themselves by po- po- postponing two of Aston Villa's games and not post- postponing this one for basically the same reason. Yeah, I agree. I think Villa got two games off and Everton got their uh got got the game called off because of obviously obviously wind and I think to have five first team players missing and two games in 42 hours is bad enough at the best of times let alone with five first team players missing and again just another inconsistency within the FA's health and safety standards yeah, and, and, and like I also wanted like speak about say a short thing about the Everton game being postponed because like I saw like on Twitter some Everton fans saying that the wind has been a, a problem for a few, uh, for like three or four days before the game uh, and the game obviously got postponed because of uh, because of wind problems. So I, I just really think that like Everton had the opportunity to to fix that beforehand like if if there were problems on the on, on their current state uh, stadium uh, to like find another place to play the game so and, and Casey Stoney was upset about that 
so which was understandable but yeah yeah I think yeah a lot of the Everton fans were saying like they'd known about it for three or four days so that's plenty of time to make other sort of arrangements because I remember last season Liverpool's um, pitch was waterlogged so they moved it to another one and because they knew in advance it was gonna be like that they they moved it so I think Casey Stoney has a right to be annoyed regarding the situation just looking from looking at it from the outside it kind of feels very suspicious suspicious timing considering like uh, Lucy Graham and Valerie Govan amongst others got knocks in the in in the FA Cup final uh, the weekend before yeah so, it's very convenient isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah okay so um is this match the kind of energy booster City needed uh, we have seen them blow hot and cold between they do struggle in their matches what's your take on their season so far well, well when I personally like watched the game I thought it was really difficult to like pinpoint like how good City really were considering like Bristol City missed so many players and were were forced to play the game with so many academy players which really showed the showed in the game like the the the, the difference in in level was was was, was huge uh, in City's favor uh so I, I it's very tough to like say if this was kind of an energy booster for City like i mean I'm sure they will they will be happy by with scoring eight goals uh uh against Bristol City, but I kind of feel, also feel like they they're kind of uncertain on where they stand just based on this game. Uh as for this, their season, it's just inconsistencies. Uh they they haven't really hit their highest level yet and they're struggling to find, and it seems like Gareth Taylor is struggling to find his best eleven and to figure out how they, uh, they, how to like get the best out of them. So I, th- I think they have, have had some starting problems, and it shows in their their results and performances. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think they've hit their full stride yet. They've been very reliant on their midfield to score. And I think even if it's obviously a poor situation for Bristol, it could be helpful to bring Ellen White back in form um, because they don't really have a backup striker. Uh, so you could see they were enjoying the getting in an attacking swing and maybe we could see this be a start of something for them. I also like going into this game, You, I think everyone or at least most people kind of felt or fear that there there was this big scoreline incoming to Manchester City, like winning by five six goals or something. Uh, but but and it obviously ended up being like that because Bristol City missed so many players. Yeah, and City. Um, I mean, they scored eight goals, but they. Failed to keep a clean sheet again in the FAW. So, uh, do they need to reshuffle their backline? I mean, their CV pairing is not giving the expected results. They're conceding against a team that is less effective in front of the goal. I mean, the goal they conceded 
And this game was a big mistake from Gemma Bonner um, with a very poor back pass uh, towards Ellie Roebuck. So I really don't know what's wrong with their back line. Well, on paper, it, it's pretty good. It's uh, it's it has quality players, but and it's also like very difficult to to say that they should reshuffle because they don't really have that many center back options. It's basically Steph Houghton, Gemma Bonner, and maybe Chloe Morgan. Uh, like playing Alex Greenwood at center back isn't ideal, which Garrett Taylor has done in a few games. So I don't know. It just their defense looks vulnerable and when they keep when they make mistakes like like they did in this game, they, they will get punished even if it's even if it's against Bristol City. Yeah, I think also Bronze is very attacking and the gaps in behind leave space and vulnerability. And I think it's a matter of them getting a balance and getting used to like understanding what each other uh, require. And I think Bonner's mistake comes from rustiness. She knows she's like falling out of favour with Taylor because Green has been selected more often than her. So I think that that's probably one of the main reasons why they conceded in this instance. But yeah, it's hard to see what their best pairing is because none of them have really kept a clean sheet yet. Another thing is, like, I don't think it's ideal to have Steph Houghton on the same side as Lucy Bronze. Like, with Bronze giving away so much space because she's so attacking uh, and having Steph Houghton at, at right centre-back isn't ideal due to, like, I don't think she's particularly fast. She kind of lacks pace, so she doesn't, she isn't able to cover uh, as well as you maybe want to. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that if you look at Stokes, she's a lot more defensive and uh, could give them that little bit more security because I think Bonner is less inclined to make mistakes, even though she did make one. But yeah, um, Steph is quite reasonably slow getting back. So I think maybe if they give that a reshuffle, might be something to look into. But it's obviously frustrating for them not to be keeping clean sheets. Um, Manchester City, they will be facing a confident Manchester United next week. Uh, what can we expect from this game? Can United topple another heavyweight along their way or it's not going to be enough against City? Well, I think if you look at like United's performance against Arsenal, which we will come back to, um, I think like this, a similar approach is what we can expect from, from United due to like City wanting to play, play out of the back, out from the back. Um, uh, so I, I expect United to to press high again with a lot of intensity, uh, and kind of like especially maybe target Steph Houghton because she's a bit slow on the ball, and when she gets put under pressure, she she is capable of like giving the ball away in a dangerous area to to a to a player who's part of the press uh, uh, I think United have great chances to, to beat City like you look at City, City's performances and and their season so far they haven't really been convincing whilst Manchester United on the other hand have played well in 
in, in most of their games. Uh, and again, and a confident Manchester United against a, a vulnerable Manchester City might might prove that uh, prove, might be in favor of United. So big chances. I think a derby is always unpredictable. Um, I think it will be a harder match for United as City has a fully fit squad and they have to deal with Mewis in midfield. So I think Mewis is really that strength as well as City's midfield. So I think it depends on both attacks being clinical as to the final result. I think it's going to be a very hard one to predict, but I think it will be an entertaining match anyway. Yes, Sam Mewis will be will be key for for City, I think, as well, because she has that physicality. She's so tall and strong, and she also has that drive with the ball. So, so she's very like difficult to stop. Uh, and United isn't like the most physical team in terms of strength uh, in, in players. Like their play, their play, players aren't very strong, uh, so they need to look out for Mewis. Uh, and it's also, as you said, Mary Kay, that the attacks need to be clinical, which kind of ironically neither of them have been this season. Like you see Manchester City missing a lot of chances and Manchester United missing quite a few chances in, in the previous games. Yeah, definitely. I think it it's going to be uh, difficult to predict just because the attacks are very inconsistent. So we could either get a nil-nil draw or we could get a rake of goals. It'll be very interesting to see. Yep. And Alex Greenwood uh, will be facing her former side whom she captained during their debut season in championship. Uh, Will she start the match? Do you think she would have received a rather low-C reception if it was played with fans inside the stadium? Well, it's very difficult to say if if she will start the match. Probably, I think she will, due to like Bonner making that mistake. She might uh, get benched and Taylor might put Greenwood at center back again. Uh, but it's obviously very difficult to predict. Um, and I also do think that if the fa- if fans were allowed in the stadium, she she probably would get the boos and kind of like they they would have made it difficult for her to 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 concentrate. Like she would would have gotten a lot of attention and yeah, trying to like put her off, especially when you consider that United's fans are pretty pretty loud. Yeah, I think potentially it could have been a little bit hostile for her. I think she probably will start because I think Bonner's fallen out of favour and he likes to play uh, like a left-footed centre-back. So I think it's very really likely she'll start and uh, it'll be interesting to see how she performs against her former side. And I think the reception will be shown uh, on Twitter anyway. <laughs> yeah, Bristol City, they're at the bottom of the league. Uh, can we see them getting out of the relegation zone? Or are they going to be the team who will end up in the championship at the end of the season? Well, they look the weak. They they look like the weakest team, don't they? Like 
the amount of goals they they are conceding and the few and the amount of well, well the few goals they're scoring uh it's not a good look for them they haven't looked good at all and if they if they go, if they're going to have any chance of staying up they need to start picking up points they can't continue conceding so many goals and scoring so few yeah i think it's it's going to be really hard for them to pick up points there have been some improvements like the way they turned up against arsenal was really good um but yeah, it's it's definitely going to be difficult because you see the likes of Villa picking up points, Tottenham as well, who are down sort of that end. So until they start picking up points, it, they're more than likely going to be ending up in the championship at the end of the season. Yep. Um, before we move on to the next game, I would like to share an interesting fact with you guys. Uh, interesting fact about the former... Manchester City player, I think you might remember her, uh, Tessa Bullert. She's now playing for Anderlecht in the Belgium Women's Super League. And her stats are very impressive this season. 27 goals and 16 assists in 10 games so far. And, you know, regardless of whether it's a league as good as the English or weaker, I guess we all agree that this is a very impressive achievement. Yeah, so I just want to mention uh, her. And now we can move on to the next game, uh, Tottenham versus Reading. Uh, Tottenham came into the match after the Conte Cup loss against Chelsea. And Alex Morgan finally made her debut. What's on this game? I think you need to take this one, Mary-Kate. <laughs> Uh, I think it was uh, even. Uh, I think it was a good match to watch. I think both teams had plenty of opportunities to win the game. And again, it's that being clinical in front of goal. Uh, the Mitchell-Fishlock link-up was very good. And uh, Spencer, again, very good for Spurs. I think both teams are really struggling to finish. And I think Spurs will be hoping, hoping that Alex Morgan, now she's made her debut, will start bringing in those goals for them. And Tottenham are still uh, winners in the FAWSL League this season. Uh, Considering how they ended up last season, should they be disappointed with their results or is it just a kind of bad luck or bad form since the start of the season? I think their best opportunities to pick up the three points were against West Ham and Reading. Uh, I think those are the only matches that they could be disappointed with. Again, a matter of finishing, which again, they'll hope will be solved with a fully fit Morgan. I think they've had a pretty hard run of games and I think we've seen some improvement in the last few games, holding Chelsea to 2-0 and both goals coming from sort of moments of brilliance, I guess. And uh, they'll be hoping to show up in the next game against Bristol to see if they can pick up the three points. I think if they fail to in that game, I think that's when they'll feel like they're really disappointed. Yep, and Reading are finally settling into some momentum of shots with their recent results. Who has been the best player for them so far? And what were the positives from this match? 
I think Mitchell has been phenomenal for them at the back. Really good acquisition and provided, again, an assist in that match. Her link up with Fishlock, they've been creating quite a lot. And I think uh, James in midfield as well was very good. But I think Mitchell's uh, the standout performance for them. Uh, she's been consistently good all season, so they'll be hoping her form continues. Tottenham will face Bristol this week. Can we finally expect Tottenham to end their winless streak? I mean, it's, it's hard to say because I don't think we should quite rule out Bristol. I think they'll have a point to prove after the FA ruling. And it's the battle of the uh, two bottom teams. Both have struggled to score in games. I think it'd be a close match, but certainly Tottenham's best chance so far to pick up the three points. I th- I just think it's a it's a must win game for Tottenham if they're if they're gonna have any chance of like um, finishing in a respectable respectable position. Like you look at Bristol this season and they they look so poor. And even though like Tottenham has also looked poor at times, they they have improved. They have had some positive results or experiences or performances or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so this is just a game they have to win, I think. Yeah, especially if you look at the acquisitions they made over the summer. Uh, very, very impressive players. And I think there's there's no excuses when it comes to this match. So um, they'll be hoping they pick up the three points. But um, it's, hard, it's hard to predict. And... Uh... Reading will be facing a wounded Everton, a site that is marred with injuries. Will they be able to snatch some points from Everton? Well, I think we'll see a pretty even game, potentially a draw. Everton will want to bounce back and prove they're in top three contention. Reading are in sixth and will be looking to challenge the top five. So uh, both teams have got something to prove. So I think it could be quite an even match. And especially with Lucy Graham and uh, Govan missing, Reading will feel like they have a good shot there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so now let's move on to the next game. Very interesting one. Uh, Chelsea for Everton 0. Uh, before I, uh, we start... I just want to give you some statistics because I think that the numbers that I'm about to give reflect why the match ended with such a result and not with another. Um, Chelsea, they made 21 shots. 10 of them were on target and Everton, they made uh, 12 shots of which only one was on target. So as we can see, Chelsea were dominant in their fixture against Everton, rounding off a, a 4-0 win. Uh, and Beth England started the match ahead of Samkar, and she scored two important goals. Uh, what would you take out of this performance from Chelsea? I think England's just proven why she should be starting every game. Her involvement, she I think she was involved in every single goal, and it solves the clinical problem that Chelsea have had with Kerr. But then it kind of backfired in that they lacked certain creativity at times, which Kerr provides for them. And I think both of them were a lethal combination last season. So I think from now on, I think both should start together. 
Um, I, I think maybe it's kind of an issue with, or it's not an issue, but I think like the Chelsea team is more used to playing with Beth England rather than Sam Kerr. So maybe that's kind of why England is performing so well when, when she when she plays. Um, as for this game, the score, even though like the, the stats show that Chelsea had so many, a lot more shots and shots on target than Everton. It still kind of feels a bit harsh, like the 4-0 scoreline feels, feels a little bit harsh. On Everton, I thought they they defended well uh, for for long periods of time and also got into like dangerous areas when when they had the ball, uh, which they just kind of lacked that final ball, ball or someone in the box to finish it. I think if Govan had played uh, she probably would have scored a header, maybe because Everton put in some very good crosses. Uh, but as you kind of expect, Chelsea had a lot of the ball, most of the ball, uh, and kind of just look. They look. They they played a little faster than than they done in some pre in some other games. It kind of feels felt like the the the, the rhythm was better, uh, and they. They deservedly won, but maybe 4 0 was a little bit harsh. Uh, Everton kind of collapsed after, you know, in that short period of time when betting and scored twice. Uh, so maybe a bit harsh, but deserved win for, for Chelsea, I think. Yeah, I think I think it was a bit harsh because I think Izzy Christensen had a brilliant game. I think, yeah, it was just it was just that short period of time where yeah, it all just fell apart for them. But they were still showing like really good, like defensive solidity at times. But yeah, I think on under Chelsea's attacking prowess, and I think England was a lot responsible for that. Um, they just fell apart really, and yeah, definitely four 0 is very harsh. I think McIver, 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 uh, made some really good saves. Do you guys think um, harder? Cuthbert and England would be the front three moving forward, or Sam Kerr should be the outright starter for them. I think in uh, Kirby's oh. absence, Harder is quite good at that sort of number ten role. Cuthbert, England, and Kerr front three, and then if Harder's just in behind, because Kerr kind of provides that creativity, and England is clinical. So I think they should definitely be starting together, especially as England is now fully fit and back and forth. Yeah, you also. But if you like, if Hayes is reluctant to play them together, you you kind of have to play Bad England in the next game against Arsenal due to her her good performance in this game. It would be very harsh if she was back on the bench uh, and then Kerr starting. I think Frank Kirby is a starter for them. I think that Emma Hayes proved that she. She really rates her highly by by playing her by starting her in almost every game. So when she's fit, she will probably be part of that front three. But for now, I think Harder, Cuthbert, and England should at least well should continue to to start together if Hayes don't want to play her and England together. Yeah, and um, how good was Melanie Lloyd-Bolts against Everton? She assisted the second goal when Everton were trying to uh, get a grip on the game and score an equaliser. Is she the best signing for Chelsea? I mean, are they overlooking her since they signed attackers in Bernie Harder and Sankar? 
Yeah, I think she has been consistently good for them since she signed. Um, it, she has to be really good to get into that midfield. I, I definitely think she is the best signing. Uh, she's consistently class and she hasn't had a poor game yet. I think she was overshadowed by Harder and Kerr, but I think she's shown just how good she is. Yep, and we talked about G in one of our previous episodes. But again, she steps up against a better and tougher opponent. It's about the consistency that she performs whenever Chelsea play against a top team. Is she the most intelligent player in FAWSL? I would say yes. I think... Go on, sorry. Oh, no, go. Um, Well, I was just going to say, yeah, uh, definitely one of them, if not the most intelligent player in in the league, uh, I, I rate her so highly. I think she's probably the best midfielder in the league as well. Uh, um, just so smart. Her, her movement is very smart, and she always makes the right choice on the uh, with the ball. Uh, so crucial to this Chelsea team. I think I, I think I said it last time too, but she's kind of the player which makes their attack tick. Probably like she. She dictates dictates the game and kind of sets the the rhythm of their play. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen her have a bad game. She's always instrumental to everything positive that Chelsea do. And she manages to read the game so well and always finds that pocket of space and always picks the right pass. I think absolutely world-class and uh, any anyone would be lucky to have her. Chelsea, they will be coming against... Uh battered and bruised Arsenal next weekend. Uh, are they going to be challenged by Arsenal or is it going to bring Chelsea uh, another win? I think Chelsea will more than likely win. Uh, sadly, <laughs> especially with England in form. She loves the goal against Arsenal. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see us start a back, with a back five to try to prevent c- conceding early. But yeah, I think it's going to be a Chelsea win unless we can pull some magic out somewhere. And Everton, they will be up against uh, Reading and Everton are winless in their last two uh, FAWSL matches. It looks like they are slipping away from the top three finish. They would need to turn the tide fast before it's over. What can we expect from them when they take on uh, Reading. Well, I, that's Mary Kate previously mentioned that I think it will be a tight game. Uh, both teams will will be looking to to get a get a good result. Reading to like kind of keep their their momentum in a way, and Everton to bounce to bounce back. Um, I think like Everton are kind of showing that that they might not be. As consistent as they need to be to be in in the top three, like obviously they they hadn't had a fantastic start to to the season, uh, but they didn't really play any of any great team, one of any of the great teams or the best teams. So uh, they wasn't really challenged that much, uh, and like when you now see them play Chelsea, they lose 4-0 and they even lost points against Brighton which isn't 
isn't great, but yeah, expect them to wanting to bounce back, but I think Reading will make it difficult for them. Yep, so let's move on to the next game. Uh, Brighton 0, Aston Villa 2. Um, Aston Villa finally got a win and three points. Uh, so what's your thoughts on this game? I thought it was a really impressive win. Uh, they did a great job of creating. They hit the post a number of times, so it could have been more. I think Brighton failed to clear their lines and a great goal was placed in the top left by Azante. Uh, Vice was very impressive, made a save to keep the clean sheet, then took a goal kick, which assisted the winner. And I think she probably deserved a place in team of the week. I think it was quite worrying for Brighton. They were quite poor defensively, even though they started out the season quite well. Uh, I think they're lacking that attacking threat. There's not one out and out goal scorer. Uh, They've been very limited when it comes to attacks. So I think that will be their main priority moving forwards. And the next game, uh, Birmingham City versus West Ham United. And West Ham got their first win of the season. Uh, Thoughts on this match? Yeah, I think it's a relief for West Ham. They have a very, very good squad. And I think if they didn't turn things around, maybe Matt Beer's job would be under question. Uh, Rachel Daly floated in a beautiful ball for the winner. Um, And they had a win during the week against Reading, which gave them a kickstart. Uh, Claudia Walker is in great form for Birmingham, but she must be annoyed she uh, scored the own goal that equalised. Um, Birmingham will probably feel they should have equalised as well. They've had great chances, but yeah, West Ham came out on top and I think they'll be glad to get those uh, three points on the board. Yep, and the last game uh, we want to talk about is um, this episode, um, Manchester United versus Arsenal. Manchester United won Arsenal nil. Uh, so Manchester United beat Arsenal in their FA WSL clash. Was it expected? Are you surprised by the result? Or did you expect more from Arsenal? Personally, I expected yeah, a lot of... I think did it was... Really? Yeah, I really did. Um, I think before the game, I had just had a really, really bad feeling. And I think on paper and in hindsight... I don't think we should have won that game either. I think when we started without six of our best on 11 due to injuries and our midfield have never looked quite as good without little Rod and knobs against strong sides. So I think we all knew it would be one and lost in midfield. I think had we started little and Rod, we could have done something a bit different and they gave us more chances when going forward. But it was, I think it came too late and I think a lot of our attack on our midfield kind of lacked interest and uh, they didn't seem to know what they were doing. So I think, yeah, it was, ex- I, I think I expected it in a way. Um, but yeah, great result for Man United. I think they played really well and Gronan, I think, was just world-class. Absolutely phenomenal. I have to say, like, I, I was very nervous, like nervous before the game, but also kind of excited because I know what this Manchester United team is capable of doing. Like they showed against Chelsea that they, they they've taken taken another step forward in in like in by taking a point of them. Uh, and Arsenal they 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 are vulnerable 
when teams press them highly and with so much intensity as United did in this game. Um, kind of expect Arsenal to, to maybe cope with it better since a lot of teams seems to be doing it against them. Uh, but they didn't, um, which would I would be disappointed with. But yeah, Manchester United were just so dominant in this game for, for, for most parts. I, I think it was just only a 10-minute period in the first half when uh, United let Arsenal have possession and kind of play their, their game a little. And also a 10-15-minute period after uh, Kim Little and Jill Ward came on. Uh, that was kind of it. But other than that, United just uh, outworked and outplayed Arsenal. Yeah. And, well, I'm I'm kind of a statistic geek, so I like to know the numbers behind every game. And, I mean, of course, you know, statistics are not everything, but I would like to share uh, some statistics from this game with you, because in this case, these stats like, perfectly reflect on the course of this game. Uh, so, possession, Arsenal, uh, 54% in Manchester United. 46%. Uh, passing accuracy exactly in the same level, 72 for both teams. And now we come to what influenced the result of the match. Um, shots. Manchester United, 24 shots in total. Five of them were on target and Arsenal only nine shots in total. And only one of them was on target. And, you know, for comparison... Uh, Arsenal against Reading, they had 20 shots against West Ham, 25, and against Bristol City, 21. So I don't know if you guys agree with me on this, but you don't win the match if you don't take shots and if you don't threat the opponent's goal. And I think that was the main problem for Arsenal in this game. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, they didn't take many shots, but like United also didn't allow them to take many shots because their their midfield worked so hard uh, and their defence just completely shut out Arsenal's attack. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I, I also think that it says a lot that our best chance of the game came from them almost scoring an own goal. Yeah, so, was... yeah. go on. No, it, it was nothing. It was just funny. <laughs> uh, so do you think Chelsea have drawn the blueprint on how to disrupt Arsenal's play and attack them. It feels like United followed a similar pattern with their effective pressing and counter-attacking through the flanks. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we haven't done anything to counteract it either. I think that defensively we haven't been solid this season and uh, missing three of our starting back line, so we were easily exploited out on the wings. So I think, uh, yeah they've kind of set that standard. Here's what you do if you want to take points of Arsenal and uh, have fun with it. But yeah, I was very disappointed. I think we hold out, held out reasonably well and I'm just really upset that we were uh, done by a bit of pace and an unfortunate slip from uh, Leonie Mayer. So yeah, I, it just makes me angry. Yeah, definitely. I think like that's the way to go against Arsenal. Um, I talked to uh, talked to a person on Twitter 
Uh, we always talk a lot about football. You know who we are. We're one of one of our regular listeners. Uh, and the kind of even last season we, we spoke about kind of like we really want United to play their own game against the top three sides rather than just go kind of defensive uh, with the four two three one, but kind of sitting sitting in a low block. Uh, I think the way to go is definitely to to just play your own game and press them very highly, uh, especially when when kind of Arsenal rely on a lot on Leo Williamson Williamson to to play out from the back. Like Schneiderback isn't the greatest on the ball, and when kind of Leo Walt is taken out by by players by United's midfield like Shaki Grunen. Uh, it's very difficult for Arsenal to to play out. I, I don't think I've ever seen Arsenal play so many long balls in a game ever, uh, and it's and it's all down down to United's press, high press, and just not allowing them any any time on the ball at all. Yep, and on a on a batch is back into the starting eleven. It looked uh, quite evident. Manchester United, a more balanced team with her. She shot the entire left wing of Arsenal comfortably. Did Arsenal miss hurting United on the other flank? Yeah, I think like I think one of United's biggest problems this season uh, has been defending from uh, defending wide areas and defend uh, defend from or defend crosses or set pieces. Like that's where how most of their the goals they've conceded have come from uh, set pieces or or a cross uh, with Ona Bache playing the kind of well it doesn't fix the problem entirely but she definitely is is so already so important to this team uh, uh, and you, you kind of both like in defense and attack she's so aggressive she and she's so intense in in the way she plays. She's so good on the ball, so which really helps United's build-up play. Uh, and she, and in an attacking sense, she just moves uh, like lo- loves running forward and create havoc down either side, no matter where she plays. Um, so, yeah, just a crucial player for for United. So, and I'm so happy that she's back. Uh, but yeah, definitely the the flanks. Uh, is maybe an area Arsenal should have targeted more. Yeah, I think usually we rotate the wings, so Ford will move on to the right and then Mead over to left. But we didn't we didn't seem to try anything at all. It's almost like we just kind of laid there and we're like, okay, you're not going to let us play, so we're not we're not going to bother. I think um, we were reluctant to play the ball down the other wing because if possessions overturned, you had Heath taking on a debut start in Lot with Moy. But I think Lot did quite a good job actually at handling Heath, but yeah, we just we just didn't seem to try anything. I think it, it was very frustrating to watch as an Arsenal fan. We just kinda of sat back and let them play their game and we didn't even try to play ours. I think like you should have like targeted United's left side uh, in defence because Leah Golden played left back and she isn't a- She's the defender. She's a left winger, uh, so she she played out of position, um, which I, by the way, thought was a very brave move from Casey Stoney. 
kind of showed her intent in the game. But yeah, if if she Galton isn't like good defensively, so I'm surprised that Arsenal didn't manage to to kind of exploit that more, more target that more with with Beth Mead. Uh, but as I said earlier, like Arsenal, like weren't allowed to play their own game. They played so many long balls and they didn't really manage to to get out properly. Uh, so yeah, and 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 they didn't kind of when they got the chance to play the ball into space like over the top or or, or something, they they just didn't do it, which isn't like what I associate with Arsenal. Like they usually play very good attacking football and kind of taking their chances and kind of exploiting the space, but they just didn't do it in this game. I just think we were really lazy overall. I mean, there's that video of Viv who runs like half the pitch and by the time she's stopped by defenders, there's still no options for her. And it just kind of summed up our entire play. Everyone else was kind of walking up towards her. Same when Leah went on that run through the middle. She Viv was making a run, but she was marked by two or three players at a time and no one else really bothered. Yeah, it was just frustrating, I think, to watch. Yeah, I think you saw kind of an uh, a picture with in an analysis where Caitlin Caitlin Ford had the ball on the left or kind of a cut inside uh, from the left, kind of in in the middle of United's half, and then Viv is making a run in behind one of United's centre backs, uh, and Ford has kind of the opportunity to play a long ball over the top to Viv. Uh, but she doesn't, and she kind of just goes for the safe option by passing it sideways. So I, I don't think that's very like characteristic from from Arsenal. I found that very weird. I just don't think they knew what they were doing, really. I think they kind of, as soon as they had the ball, they were like, oh, let, let, let me just keep it. Let me not really do anything with it. Let me just keep it for as long as I can. And... There's no point having possession if you don't do anything with it. So what was more impressive from United against Arsenal and how does it feel to see a win against a top team like Arsenal? I think it's a question for you, Christian, because yeah. <laughs> I think I know how Marrakeite feels about that win. Um, yeah, the most impressive, impressive thing was kind of... Uh, the intensity and and the work rate from United in this game, like kind of how they managed to shut down such a good team as Arsenal so effectively, like they, I think that was kind of the most impressive. But also, kind of the tactics from Casey Stoney was so spot on. Like she knew what what she was doing, and it it shows that she's developing uh, into such a great manager already. Uh, and kind of knows how to exploit the teams and kind of figure out see like able to see the weaknesses uh in her in the in in the opponent and kind of just exploit it so well um so yeah i'm i'm really proud a proper team performance from from manchester united so it obviously feels great uh absolutely fantastic um I'm so proud. Um, the team has 
it's it this this game kind of like shows how many like kind of the progression of the team like they're able to to win against top three team uh, and kind of like you know show that and kind of say like that we're here to we're here to like kind of challenge you properly um and it also shows kind of uh the the, the changing approach from from Casey Stoney uh like you saw last if you saw last season uh she went pretty defensively against the top 3 teams but this season she's 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 really like attacking them like more it's a braver approach and she she wants united to play their own game more uh which uh, which kind of really shows how like the intent united have this season can i just add that Jackie Gronum was absolutely phenomenal. I think she was the uh, standout yeah. player and deserves sort of more appreciation than she's got from teams of the week and stuff. But she, she's she been outstanding all season, I think. She really came into her own and was just throwing everything on the line. So, yeah, Jackie Gronum was just insane. Yeah, that's, that's kind of very frustrating for me. Like, when you see, like, for example, the team of the week from the women's football platforms on on Twitter, for example, like like Jackie Gron doesn't score goals. That's 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 pretty evident. Like she doesn't, and it's not her job to do so. Uh, uh, but kind of when you see the team of the weeks, they they just pick kind of the goal scorers or or the players who made made the assists and. I really think like a team of the week should be based on uh, the overall performance of a player in 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 the game or in the game week. Like you see how important Gron is to this team and how much she, how many tackles she won and how many uh, recoveries she made and how much she runs and and everything. Like she's so important and she really deserves a lot more recognition for, for her performances. I think already she's, she's been United's best player without a doubt this season so far. Uh, but more people need to, to kind of recognize that uh, by kind of looking past her goal contributions, which aren't many, but kind of look at kind of the work, work she does off the ball. And also when she, have when she has the ball because she 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 she's really 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 world, a world class midfielder exactly exactly she just deserves all the plaudits and uh it's just a shame that people can't look beyond the goals or assists because people like players really do deserve sort of those rewards to say you know what you are doing a really good job you are really exceptional and uh, I think she's just been overlooked, and it's such a shame. Yeah. Um, and Arsenal, they once again suffered against a better team, and it's kind of becoming a trend. Are they making the same mistake? And is Joe the reason behind it? Do you think they lack the motivation to win? There's so many answers to this question. I think we lacked leadership on the pitch and Joe isn't a vocal coach. I think it was summed up when you saw just that picture of him with his head in his hands against City. 
And I think we were really missing like Nobs and Little because they're very quite vocal and Nobs is the vocal side and Little is sort of like by example. And I think poor tactics on midfield were just simply not good enough. They didn't know what they were doing. And I think it is up to Joe at the end of the day from the start of the 1920 season. So if we look at Chelsea, City and the PSG games, of those, we lost six and won two. And the two we won were against City at home. And I think that just kind of says it all. And under Joe, points in the WSL against Chelsea, we picked up 22%, City 60% and United 50%. And I think if even just looking at the stats, it just there's only so many chances you give a manager before asking, like, where where are you taking us? Because you looked at when Man City drew against Reading, everyone was like, Taylor out, Taylor out, Taylor out. And I just, yeah, I just think it's just nothing's changing. It's the same turn up against every single big team we play. Like the Conti Cup was completely different. If we could perform like we did in the Conti Cup final, every, every time we play big team and we still lose then fair enough fair enough like we've actually tried but I think at the moment I think just yeah I just don't think that there's a clear vision for what we want to do as a club yeah and while watching the match it felt like they never want to play and the passes were absolutely chaotic Uh, are they becoming one uh, dimensional something like if Plan A doesn't work. They don't have plan B or C. They will be playing Chelsea next week, a team better in quality in every department. Should the fans lower their expectations for this season? I don't think it's a matter of the fans lowering their expectations. I think the players and Joe need to raise their own expectations. I think it's all well and good having a big team mentality when it comes to the smaller teams. But as soon as we face big teams... I I personally, as a fan, I'm like, oh, well, that's three points gone. And again, like obviously injuries haven't helped us and obviously that's always going to be a big talking point. But the win rate against big teams just isn't good enough. And there hasn't been a change in tactics, a change of style. And it just seems like he always tweaks something that's really instrumental to our play every time we play a big team. And I think... To, we just need to show up the way we did in that Conti Cup final because otherwise, yeah, I think we could struggle to get into the top three. That's completely honest. Yeah, and none of the currently injured players, I mean Lisa Evans, Steph Cotley, Jen Beattie, Noel Maritz and Jordan Nobbs uh, will be available on Sunday. Why haven't they learned from their mistake from last season? They say they're doing this massive internal investigation but I'm hoping we actually find the results of this. And I think the frustration as a fan is a lack of communication because um, Tim Stillman's really good at like interviewing Joe and saying like what's happening with injuries. We were told that Jen Beattie would be fully fit and ready for Sunday and now she's out till uh, next international break. It, it just becomes very frustrating and it just seems as soon as we get one player back, we lose another one and... The lack of consistency in lineups, I think, really costs us. And yeah, it is frustrating. 
the injuries are just constant. It's weird, isn't it? Because the kind of the same thing happened to the men's team for for a long time, too. So I, I don't really know what's going on. It could it like be in problems in in preparation or training sessions or whatever, just anything. Yeah, I think they're looking into like sort of every aspect of how they train, how they recover and everything. So I'm hoping we do get some information about how they're addressing that and where we're going to go moving forward. Because I think Leah Williamson said like when they won the title, they were one injury away from not being able to like field a team at times. And it's just, it's not just mentally taxing on the players that are injured. It's the one, it's the pressure on the ones that aren't to not get injured. Like in the final last season, we had senior players. We only had a goalkeeper and Leone Mayer on the bench and the rest were academy players. And the fact that um, eight, seven, eight months later and we're still in a similar position, even though we've recruited better and these players are supposedly not as injury prone but are getting injured, it, yeah. I, I just don't know what's happening. I think a lot of it is that due to coronavirus and obviously it's a lot more soft tissue injuries. But yeah, it's just the same thing three years in a row and nothing seems to be changing. Okay, that's all about FAW as well. Thanks, guys. Now let's take a closer look at Freien Bundesliga, the German league from the very beginning of the season, uh, provides interesting games and somehow very unexpected results. Uh, let's start with the first game, Turbin Potsdam versus Wolfsburg. Uh, Turbin Potsdam 0, uh, Wolfsburg 5. Uh, Wolfsburg looked better and better with each game. I was a bit worried about this team in the beginning, but I think they're getting into the rhythm uh, and the difficult match against the very demanding Trubin Potsdam. And well, they did really well in this game. So, Irene, did you expect such a result or did you expect a more even match considering that Potsdam has been doing great so far in the Freien Bundesliga? And obviously, you know, Wolfsburg were favourites to win, but five goals is quite a lot. Yeah, honestly, uh, I expected a more even match. Um, I mean, Potsdam had a great start to the season and is doing way better as I personally expected them ahead of the um, season. So, yeah, they are on the third place on the table. And um, before the game last Friday against Wolfsburg, they've only been three points behind them. And so, yes, I expected, as I said, a more even match. Um, but I also think the result doesn't uh, reflect the game correctly. Um, in, per, uh, in terms of Wolfsburg, wasn't even this surprise, uh, in my opinion. Potsdam just should have converted one of their promising counterattacks in a goal. And then Wolfsburg has maybe started to become nervous and that could have been uh, Potsdam's chance to get more from the game. So, yeah, but they didn't score and so they lost. Um, but I think 5-0 uh, is not uh, what the game was showing. Yeah. And Johanna Elsik had a lot of claims against the referee. Uh, after Wolfsburg was awarded a penalty, 
for me, the situation was clear. I mean, the ball touched her hand in the penalty area and it was a handball. And these complaints about uh, from the Potsdam defender seemed a bit uh, incomprehensible, I would say. How do you see that situation? I would definitely agree with you. It was a clear handball. And I think if uh, Isaac would see the footage of this situation again, uh, she would also agree. Um, I was very surprised by her reaction as well because there was really no space for any discussion uh, towards this decision. Yeah, and my next question is still related to that goal. Uh, guessing she made no mistake from the penalty spot, but Fisher uh, had the ball on her glove and guessing I would say was very lucky to score. Uh, in your opinion, should she be the team's first penalty taker. I mean, I've seen the penalties she scored in previous games and for me, those weren't the best shots. So I'm just curious about your opinion on this. Uh, yeah, honestly, it wasn't a good penalty, not to say a bad penalty. And it's not um, the first time um, I've seen uh, an inconsistent penalty taken by her. Yeah, so... Um, I think they maybe should overthink their choice of the first penalty taker. Yeah, and is Dominique Janssen the free kick specialist? I mean, once again, she takes the ball from a set piece and fires a fantastic shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe um, Dominique Janssen could be a, a candidate for this um, for this um, task, uh, but I'm. Um, to be honest, I'm not sure about her abilities of taking penalty. But yeah, it uh, could be an option for the next time. I wouldn't um, yeah, let um, uh, Gosling score another or attempt to score another penalty. Yeah, and Lena Oberdorf, what would be her ideal position on the pitch for Wolfsburg? We know that you know, despite her young age, she's already very versatile. But in which position do you think the coach should put Lena Oberdorf so that she has the freedom to show her full potential and influence the team the most? Um, yeah, as a coach, I would play her on a defensive midfield position um, because, as you said, she is very versatile. And I think in that position, uh, she would have the most freedom and space to show her potential. Um, and yeah, she could show her solid defending abilities on the uh, one hand. And on the other hand, she could also um, have the opportunity to go a bit forward and maybe help to create chances. Um, because I think one of her greatest qualities is uh, her way of reading the game. Yeah. I agree, definitely. That's I think that's the best position for her. And about uh, Janet Yakafi's goal, solid contender for the goal of the season in front Bundesliga. Yeah, the goal was um, an absolute stunner. Um, yeah, a great bicycle kick, and for me, definitely uh, the contender for the goal of the season. Yeah. So. Let's move on to the next game. Uh, Bayern Leverkusen uh, versus Hoffenheim. Uh, Hoffenheim has already conceded uh, 14 goals this season, scoring exactly the same number 
And that game against Leverkusen was a bit crazy. I mean, the first half, Hoffenheim was a dominant side. And yet all seven goals were scored in second half. And the first one was scored by Leverkusen. So overall thoughts about this match? Yeah, I think it was a crazy game. Um, Hoffenheim conceded the first goal of the match immediately after the restart. Uh, so I believe it could have been... Um, caused by a lack of concentration from Hoffenheim. Um, yeah, but uh, Hoffenheim was then able to pull a goal back um, to make it 1-1. Um, yeah, because of poor defending by Leverkusen. And then after the 2-1 for Hoffenheim, Leverkusen had to risk more. And so their defense was very open, which led to high-paced counterattacks um, by Hoffenheim. And yeah, so they were able to score more goals. Yeah, and what's the problem with Hoffenheim this season? I mean, they look really good in attacking. They play as a team. They choose simple options in the form of throw passes. Somehow, you know, they still concede goals in a very banal way. Yeah, when looking at the 14 conceded goals, um, we should be in mind that especially Hoffenheim's defense is uh, very young. So the average age of their defenders is 22. And uh, in my opinion, for a defender especially, is experience one of the most important qualities. And so that's um, what Hoffenheim is lacking of in this position. And um, another point are their goalkeepers. Um, the two first goalkeepers are injured. So it's another position where a very young, unexperienced player um, has to develop sooner as planned, I would say. And uh, yeah, the current uh, first choice on this position is the only 20-year-old Ann-Kathrin And um, of course, she's lacking of uh, experience. And I think uh, these are the main problems um, Hoffenheim has to deal with at the moment. Yeah. And the next game, Mappen versus uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, the favorite wins and does not concede a goal in the eighth game in a row. Uh, there was no surprise in this game. Bayern beat Mappen. What's your overall impression of the match and would you like to comment on that fantastic solo action from Bayern central defender Marina Hegering? I mean, she scored the first goal and the way she did it was just spectacular. Yeah, the goal from Hegering really was fantastic. How she dribbled through the defense and then finishing that precisely was brilliant. And yeah, that even as a defender, uh, let's say this, um, but um, the Bayern players are all just full of confidence at the moment. And I think that's a reason um, why as spectacular goals as this one uh, can happen, because they are just full of confidence and do what they want on the pitch. And um, overall, they could definitely have scored more goals this game. But um, they showed once again their ability to dictate play and to create numerous of various chances. And after eight match weeks of front Bundesliga, Bayern is yet to concede a goal. 
and next Sunday they will face Wolfsburg. What are your predictions for this match? How important will this match be in the context of the title fight between the two teams? There's no doubt the game will be enormous important um, because these two teams um, seem to be the only capable contenders for the season's league title. So um, the title race will not be decided on the upcoming weekend, but um, it will boost one's team's confidence and mentality massively. And on the other hand, uh, will downcast one team and this could have an important impact on the team for the further outcome, I would say. Yeah, and how will Bayern line up against Wolfsburg? Will they stay true to their style of play or will approach it with more of counter-attacking football with the pace they have in their attack? Yeah, I think it would be very dangerous for Bayern to uh, go for a um, more offensive um, form-up. But um, uh, I think they should uh, stay true to their um, last uh, lineups because it worked very well. And I don't see any problems with these lineups against um, Wolfsburg as well. Yeah. And the next game, uh, Duisburg versus Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt is back on uh, winning path. Freigang have scored in this game, but to be honest, she should have had a hat-trick and Troy Taylor's goal was something beautiful. Uh, is Eintracht Frankfurt the best team in the entire league in terms of collectivity and team effort? I mean, the chemistry is really promising for the future, considering they have young players. Yeah, I think the young team from Frankfurt is highly motivated to show their qualities, um, not at least because of the additional Champions League qualification spot, uh, which can possibly reachable for them. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of collectivity, um, they have to take some steps. Um, but I would say, yeah, their future really is looking promising. And I agree with you that the team has a great um, chemistry. Laura Freigang uh, just recently mentioned this in an interview as well. Yeah, and Eintracht works as a team, but they have certain individualities in the team. You have like players who, have, who are the backbone of the team. Uh, what are the positives to look out for from Eintracht Frankfurt? I mean, I would say that their counter-attacks. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with you. Um, with their rapid forward, the counter-attacking play is probably their most effective weapon uh, at the moment. And these counter-attacks are always well pushed by high-standing fullbacks. So as example, Verena Aschauer, the left-back, initiated a great counter-attack from the back line against Duisburg lately. Yeah, and I'm asking you about Freigang after every match, but, you know, how can I not ask when this girl can't stop scoring? And, you know, as a famous politician once said that in this world nothing can be said to be certain except deaths and taxes, I think we can modify it a bit and that in this world nothing can be said 
to be certain, except that tax isn't Laura Freigang's scoring goal. So do you think she will be able to keep that good scoring um, form throughout the season? And what factors make her being so good on the pitch? And also, will they be able to keep hold of her in next season? Yeah, I mean, uh, Laura Freigang has played a superb season so far uh, with already 10 scored goals in eight games. Um, she really is a key factor of Frankfurt's good positioning on the table right now. And as I mentioned earlier, she um, was talking about the great team chemistry Frankfurt is having um, in an interview recently. And she said that they understand each other blindly and this leads to great passes and combination play and um, it would make it so easy for her to score goals as a result of it. So yeah, it just seems uh, to click within the team and um, makes uh, Laura Freigang uh, so good at the moment. Yeah, and in this um, post-match interview, she also emphasized the essence of teamwork in this win and the previous matches. So I think that's very important and I'm really looking forward to uh, see what this team can do in this season of Frank Bundesliga. Uh, so let's move on to the next game, Freiburg versus uh, Werder Bremen. A victory for Freiburg didn't come easily and Werder caused them a lot of trouble in this game. Uh, there was a huge mistake by Freiburg's goalkeeper in the first goal for Werder. Is it because of lack of concentration? I mean, that's a kind of mistake which should not take place at this level. I think it was a quite difficult uh, situation for the goalkeeper. The opposing striker put uh, much pressure on her. And in my opinion, um, the defenders moved too slowly into the free space. Shows, uh, so she wasn't able to pass the ball before the titu- uh, situation has become dangerous. Um, but of course... Um, It was a mistake that could have been avoided or, as you mentioned, should have been avoided at this level. Yeah, and was the result of this match fair, in your opinion? I mean, Bremen could have drawn this match, but missed their chances. And on the other hand, Freiburg also had some good opportunities to score, but they also didn't manage to just take advantage of them. In my opinion, um, Dem cannot really be happy with a defeat. Of course, you are never happy with a defeat, but um, I agree with you. Um, they had some good chances, and I think a draw would have been deserved for both sides. Um, but Freiburg had a bit more luck this day, I would say. So um, they didn't really dominate the game, but um, they could have scored also more goals. And um, so could have Bream. And um, all in all, I think a draw would have suited the game way more. But it is like it is. Freiburg wins this time. Yeah. And let's move on to the last game from Freiburg Bundesliga. I want to talk about uh, Sand versus Essen. Uh, a good game by Essen after their disappointing result in uh, Pokal, where they lost to a much lower-ranked team. They definitely needed a solid match. So what's your overall thoughts after this game? 
Yeah, as you said, um, the frustrating defeat in the DFB Pokal, it was so important for Essen to win this game. Um, they absolutely showed the qualities that the young team is having and uh, with a great quick combination play. Um, but also Sun created some proper chances. Um, especially the winger Chiara Loos impressed with some promising sprints along the sideline. Yeah, but um, they weren't able to make more of it. So in the end, it was a deserved victory for Essen, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, 70-year-old Carlotta Wamser uh, showed her ability. She created a lot of trouble for Sun's defense. Is she another young promising talent in women's football. I mean, we know that SN focuses a lot of uh, on youth players. Exactly. Essen yeah. is focusing on developing young, promising talents uh, for a long time now. And all these potential class players have in particular great technical abilities. So it is no surprise that Carlotta Ramza um, is also in hold of such technical skills. And yeah, hopefully we will get to see more of it in the future. Yeah, and would you like to say a few words about Jana Feldkamp? She appears to be one of the most important characters on the team and by far the most important link in the SN midfield. Where do you see this player in the five-year perspective? She's uh, surely uh, a leading player for Essen at the moment, and um, she's all over the pitch and takes on responsibilities. Um, so I can eventually see her becoming an important player, even for the German national team. Um, so she is uh, showing her abilities week in, week out. But to become maybe an international high-ranked player, I think uh, she has to follow in Lena Oberdorf, Lea Schuller and Linda Dahlmann's footsteps and sign for uh, an international successful club. So the three players I've just mentioned, um, you know, have all been playing for Essen before or during their breakthrough. Um, yeah, but then they've signed for a bigger club and are all seeded players for the German national team now. So um, as hard as it is for Essen, to lose all these fantastic um, and talented players. I think at the moment for the players, it is their only chance to become even better and reaching yeah, personal goals, I would say. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, thank you very much, Eileen. Uh, that's all about the Frauen Bundesliga. And in this episode we focused on the English and German leagues, but we would like to take a moment to talk about the Spanish league, the Primera Iberdrola, and actually we want to talk a little bit about Barcelona's game against Atletico. So Barcelona beat Atletico in the El Clasico of women's football. Uh, thoughts about this game, Christian? Um, so yeah, in the absence of, of, of Kate, I, I've gotten the honor to kind of talk about Barca. Um, uh, as for this game, I, I, I didn't think Barca were particularly good. I thought they were subpar, even if not poor. Um, I think like the lack of games recently really showed in their performance. I, 
especially evident in the first half. I thought they were slow on the ball and they they kind of lacked movement up front and in midfield, uh, uh, which, for the record, improved in the in the second half. Uh, but also, kind of like due because and that happened because I also thought like Atletico were very disciplined in their uh, in their uh, in their in in defense and very committed to their defensive structure structure. Um, which really kind of limited Barcelona in their in their build-up play. Uh, they managed to like cut out the passing lanes uh, when Barcelona had the ball in defense and tried to play out, involving kind of Alexia and Patri and Aitana in midfield. But uh, Atletico just kind of didn't allow them to do that. They they marked them very well, uh, which was something Barca struggled to figure out. Uh, I thought, uh, but kind of after Barcelona scored their their first goal, uh, and especially after the second goal, uh, I thought like Atletico's defensive structure kind of fell apart. They didn't manage to like uh, mark take out in Barcelona's midfield that well, um, and you kind of saw that like that space open up for Barcelona because. Uh, the distances within Atletico's structure and team got bigger, uh, which kind of allowed Barcelona to take advantage of that space opening up. Opening up. Um, as for Atletico, a little bit more about Atletico, I also thought they they managed to 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 hold on to the ball well at times when they when they won it. Like they they didn't just kind of like punt it forward. To, to no one just giving the ball away to Barcelona straight away they they managed to keep and hold possession uh, uh, and have those kind of passages of play where they could use the ball themselves which which resulted in kind of them getting into good areas like and even though kind of they didn't create that many chances they they kind of just they troubled Barcelona a bit and they obviously got that penalty very early on which had Tony Duggan scored that I think it would have been a different game um, uh, like if if that if she had scored I think Atletico could have continued with their with their game plan game plan which worked very well in the first 30 minutes uh, uh, which limiting Barcelona and just not giving them space at all uh, in midfield or anything so but like she she missed and uh, uh, and Barca obviously ended up winning 3-0 yeah and what impressed you the most from Barca's display against Atletico um i th- I, I think kind of the most impressive thing is kind of Barcelona's patience uh, in this game kind of they 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 struggled uh, in the first 30 minutes but kind of they they kept their patience and and just waited for Atletico to kind of open up a little bit more uh so and after they 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 got their first goal and the second goal they they kind of really showed uh, how well they they're able to take advantage of the space opening up and also like the few times they 
they got space in the first 30 minutes they they managed to kind of get into those good positions but that kind of really uh improved in 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 the second half like when atletico kind of has had to go for it more since they were 2-0 down uh, but yeah barcelona just being patient and 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 taking advantage of the space uh when they when they got it is kind of what impressed me the most about this game despite a poor overall performance um yeah, yeah. can i also just say i kind of forgot to say that as for, i didn't like that mariona moved so much inside again okay. like she 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 started on the left wing um but we know that she she, she drifts a lot inside uh uh which can which is which is a good thing at times and can and it often works out well for her but in this game kind of the, the midfield was very the midfield area was very congested so when she moved inside it kind of limited space there even more uh but yeah it was just that yeah to be honest i think they're always like that patient uh i mean if you have Alexia Puteas in the midfield, you know, that, you know, goals will come. So, uh, I think Barca, they always play, like, you know, with this yeah, patience. Of course. But that's, you know, that's very characteristic about them. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a strength for them. Yeah. Like, teams will try to frustrate them like Atletico did in this game, but they they kind of always seem to, to keep their, their cool and, and wait for the right opportunities. So, do you think they still need to be tested against that top quality team to consider them as, a, you know, like European giants? Well, they have been tested, like in in last in the Champions League two seasons ago and in last season Champions League, and they obviously got to the final and then lost against Wolfsburg in the semi final. Uh, so. I consider them as like one of the kind of the big guns in in women's football now. Uh, I think they've done enough to prove themselves, uh, especially when getting to that final. And I also thought they 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 were better than Wolfsburg in last season semi final, but were unfortunate to lose due to um, a goal and then not taking their chances the other way. So um, definitely. Uh, I definitely consider them as as a, a, a European giant, if if that's what you want to call them. Yeah, and uh, Granadilla Tenerife occupies the top spot. However, Barca have played two less games than the table toppers. This is the first time a team other than Barca or Atletico is the leader of the league. Last time it happened on June 12, 2016, the day. Athletic lifted the legal title. Uh, speaking of Barca, it looks more or less they will be winning the league again. What would be their chances in the Champions League this season? Can they consider themselves as one of the favourites? And what would be their chances against Lyon, Chelsea, PSG or Wolfsburg if they're about to face them? Um, I, I think... You have to consider them as kind of one of those teams that will go far. I think if they don't make it 
to at least the semi-final they 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 will be di- disappointed themselves and i kind of will too because there there's so much quality in in, in that team um i, I kind of like think they have decent chances of winning it but a semi-final should should kind of be the the expectation or maybe kind of what you yeah want yeah that's kind of where you you see them coming and maybe even further this year um playing like teams like Lyon, Chelsea and PSG and Wolfsburg will always be very challenging challenging but i, I think they've proven themselves enough to 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 kind of give them uh, good ch- good chances against any team now um especially when kind of Wolfsburg is not at their level after losing Pernil Harder and Sarbjörk Gunnarstadter last season. So, so yeah, um, I think I, I will give them good chances against any team. Yeah, and you know, it's football, so everything can happen. Yeah, of and, course. Well, yeah, and Barca, they have some impressive stats along the way. They haven't conceded a goal in their last nine league games for about uh, 928 minutes. And they also had two players under 20 in the starting lineup against Atletico. Their young goalkeeper, Katakol, hasn't conceded yet for them in any of the matches she has played. And uh, Blaugrana's unbeaten run continues against Atletico. Stands at eight with four wins and four draws. And Caroline Graham Hansen proved crucial with her to assist. And Barcelona also remains unbeaten in the league since their defeat to Granadilla Tenerife, now leaders of the league, with, which amounts to uh, 557 days and yeah, 26 matches. Very so yeah, that's very impressive. That's <laughs> they just so dominant in their domestic league. Yeah, very dominant. Uh, so I just want to uh, give a few words about Italian Serie A. Juventus tops the league with seven wins out of seven. And Cristiano Giurelli has scored seven goals in the league. And Juventus women were established in 2017. Since then, they had won all the league titles. So I think we can say that Barca is the dominant side in Spanish league and Juventus uh, is the dominant team in the Italian league. That's so, <laughs> That's fair for them, but what about the rest of the teams? Yeah. So, okay, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining me in, uh, here and thanks for sharing your thoughts about all these games. Uh, that's all from us today. Hope you liked our episode. Um, stay tuned for the next episodes of our podcast. Yeah, just stay safe, take care of yourself, and yeah, bye.